all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. Today, the focus will be on Dr. Owens' specialties, obstetrics and gynecology. She'll address the most frequently asked questions about all things below the waist. We welcome your questions and comments. You can call one 877 mp Ring 1-877-672-7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. President Trump is expected at this hour to outline his plan for scaling back Dodd-Frank, the 2010 financial reform law. From member station WSHU, Charles Lane reports that the president is also expected to roll back requirements that investment advisors put client interests ahead of company profits. The controversial rule says that anyone giving advice to people saving for retirement had to act as a fiduciary, meaning they couldn't recommend an investment that didn't make sense. Micah Hauptman is a lawyer for the Consumer Federation of America. Retirement savers would continue to be harmed by excessive fees being put into risky assets that are not in their best interest. The regulation upended many business models on Wall Street. Most panned the rule, saying it limited options for investors, but some large firms have already begun changing policies. In fact, FINRA, Wall Street's self-governing body, has said if federal regulators step back, it will create their own version of the rule. For NPR News, I'm Charles Lane in New York. The U.S. economy added 227,000 jobs in January, while the unemployment rate inched up a notch to 4.8 percent. NPR's John Itzty has more. Surveys showed economists had expected just 175,000 new jobs to be added in January. That would have been close to the average for the past year. But the economy outperformed the forecasts. At the same time, the unemployment rate rose from 4.7 to 4.8 percent. That's because more people were added to the workforce. In fact, the workforce participation rate rose two-tenths of a percent. Private sector job growth was strong in January, while government employment fell by 10,000. This is the last jobs report on President Obama's watch. The January surveys were conducted before Donald Trump took office. John Itzty, NPR News, Washington. Ukrainian troops and Russian-backed separatists have ramped up their fighting in the Ukrainian town of Advikka. The BBC's Tom Burridge says there are reports that the fighting killed civilians as well as soldiers. Well back from the front line, we could still hear the regular boom of an intense battle last night. The situation here feels increasingly volatile. 
There are reports of heavy shelling also in the main separatist-held city of Donetsk. The Russian-backed authorities there say an explosion in the centre of the city killed two people. Local residents have told the BBC that military convoys have been seen moving through the separatist territory, which borders Russia. The BBC's Tom Burridge. The Trump administration is imposing sanctions on companies and individuals the U.S. says are helping Iran's ballistic missile program. Treasury Department going after what it calls the networks and supporters of Iran's ballistic missile procurement. The Dow is up 165. This is NPR. Four people are under investigation in Spain for a computer hacking claimed by a notorious online Robin Hood-like figure. Lauren Freyer reports from Madrid. A fourth person, a Swiss man, has turned himself into Spanish police after three arrests earlier this week. They're all IT engineers under investigation for allegedly hacking into the website and Twitter feed of a police union in Barcelona. That intrusion was claimed by Phineas Fisher, a mysterious online figure who's also exposed government surveillance operations around the world. Rumors have swirled all week that Phineas Fisher may now be in custody. But investigators here say their suspects may be linked to the Spain hacking, but not to other cyber espionage breaches in the UK and Italy, for which Phineas also claimed responsibility. For NPR News, I'm Lauren Fryer in Madrid. BMW of Germany is recalling 230,000 cars and sport utility vehicles in the U.S. that may have been fitted with faulty airbag inflators made by Takata. The vehicles were being brought in for checks again as they may have had an airbag replaced with a Takata inflator after a crash or in a previous recall. This is part of a wider recall of almost a million vehicles announced in 2015. And more than a quarter of a million Nissan Altimas have been recalled. At issue, the doors might open if a rear window is lowered. The cars are from model years 2015 through 17. Nissan suspects a fault in the routing of latch and lock cables, causing the window assembly to inadvertently open the door. I'm Luis Schiavone, NPR News, Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Vital Projects Fund, supporting the Museum of Modern Art in Manhattan, where the exhibit Francis Picabia, Our Heads Are Round So Our Thoughts Can Change, is on view. More information and tickets at MoMA.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women with Dr. Michelle Owens on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to Southern Remedy for Women this morning. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens. She's a specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. Today we are talking about women. Gee, imagine that on Southern Remedy for Women. More specifically, we're talking about women below the waist. I guess that's the delicate way of putting And above the knee. Although, we'll take your questions about any part of the body if that's what you're thinking about today. But that's sort of our focus. Um, Obviously, the gynecological part and the obstetrics part 
of being a woman. So if you have a phone, uh, if you have a phone call, if you have a question or a comment, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. Or if you'd prefer to email us, you can do that at women at mpbonline.org. And let me just say before we even begin, if uh, you have a question that's really personal that you're not comfortable identifying yourself you don't have to you can send an email we won't say your name or you can call up with a fake name and a fake location we don't care just no feel just free to call to, be yeah. comfortable if you have a phone give us a call <laughs> call them <laughs> our call me now. operators are standing by <laughs> good morning dr owens <laughs> good morning karen how are you feeling? How are you doing? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm I'm feeling something. I've I have these um, I have allergies that I developed when I became a Mississippian, and so um, I am struggling with them this morning. But other than that, I'm 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 doing great. I think weather changes have something to do with that. I don't know, and and it's weird because um, you know Dr. Rick has admonished me about. Uh, needing to get tested um, because these are allergies that I've developed. I didn't have them when I was younger. And so um, upon relocating to the great state of Mississippi, um, that's something that I've developed. And I don't exactly know what it is that triggers them. Mm. Um, so um, I, there's a little work that I need to do for myself, you know, with respect to my own health um, to kind of figure that out because it, it's really a challenge. And it's just been within the past couple of days. And I know the weather has kind of changed a bit much. So that well, may we, be part of we it. We wish you well on your allergy journey. Yeah, I have to let you know. You know, you know how I am about those needles, man. It just scares me to death. But I'm going to have to just suck it up and go figure it out. Well, guess what? Yeah. We have a phone call already. Wonderful. So we welcome Karen calling. I love your name. Calling in from Columbus. <laughs> Hi, Karen. Hi. Good morning. What's your question? I was calling about the condition perimenopause. Um, information might be helpful for women. Um, who are still in their childbearing years but might be experiencing some premenopausal symptoms and how to deal with those if there's medications or uh, hormone therapies that might be helpful. Um, things like heat flashes, mood swings, uh, differences in menstrual cycles, if those are things that might be affecting women from, you know, 35 to maybe 45, again, that premenopausal time period and, and what women can do to deal with some of those symptoms. Well, um, Karen, thanks so much for that uh, for that question. You um, kind of got us, I guess, jump started early because I figured as we talked about some of these more frequently asked questions um, for OBGYNs that we would, you know, talk about the change of life and also those women who are um, who haven't quite made it there, but who are approaching it. And so, um, as you said, um, this we call this perimenopause or that time that is around menopause. So it's actually the beginning of your transition from um, the time when you are able to bear children or in your reproductive life transitioning to the point where you no longer have that ability. So where we stop um, ovulating and stop producing eggs. So um, there are many different ways, just like many women um experience menopause differently or there are symptoms that may be more um more prominent or more of a problem for one woman that may not be an issue for others. Um, but there are several different things that um, we know are kind of common in this um, time period. So one of the most common things is um, irregular periods. So you go from being a person who has regular cycles um, and then all of a sudden you might skip one or two cycles. Now, it in normal 
women who are um, of reproductive age, you may, for stress reasons or other reasons, skip a cycle here and there. But in the perimenopausal period, the irregularity becomes more frequent. So you tend to have that happen more often. So that's one of the things. Um, Some people can start to experience um, hot flashes. Um, They can have um, migraine headaches that become more uh, prominent. It's actually in the way that I think of it. It's it's one of those situations where you start to experience the things that people typically think about in the menopausal period, but you don't do it as much or as frequently, and it may not be as severe. So, but all of those things that we think of, difficulty with sleeping, um, difficulty concentrating, there can be. Um, changes to um, the vaginal tissue so that your vagina may have problems with dryness episodically as opposed to consistently. All of those things are signs of decreasing estrogen level or decreasing hormones in our body. And as those levels start to decrease, then we start to see these physical manifestations. So um, that being the case, people say, well, what can you do to treat it? Um, The treatment can be through hormone therapy. Um, So some women in the perimenopausal um, state will decide that they want to initiate uh, hormone therapy, and that can come in a variety of different ways. Um, It can be given by patch. It can be given orally. Um, There are any number of ways that it can be taken. Um, And that is probably um, the most common way that people choose to battle some of those symptoms. Um, There are some other medications that can be used, some of them that are um, like Effexor and other drugs that are typically thought of as antidepressants that can also have the side effect of treating some of those symptoms as I well. I took effects when I was yeah, pre- so very Yeah, so for those, what we call, we call, so the doctor term is vasomotor symptoms, but that's the hot flashes that women um, experience. And so those medications have been shown to be helpful in treating those symptoms. Um, there are some people who choose natural alternatives, and so they will use you know, soy and soy products, those kinds of things to um, battle some of those symptoms as well. You may have heard the term phytoestrogens, um, which are byproducts of soy and those types of materials that can also help to um, to combat some of the symptoms that people experience in the perimenopausal period. But that's a great question and um, was one of the things that when I was um, thinking about this show, one of the notes that I made was to discuss not only the menopausal period, but that period of transition, because very few women who, well, with the exception of those who have surgery, who become surgically menopausal, very few women go straight from being of normal reproductive capacity to absolutely menopausal right overnight. It's a, it is a journey. It is a, a very interesting journey with ups and downs and bumps along the way, but a journey nonetheless. Karen, thank you so much for your phone call. We appreciate it. Roosevelt is calling in from Jackson with a men's question. <laughs> Good morning. We certainly welcome those questions <laughs> as well. Hi, Roosevelt. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to say something that uh, I just hope women don't get offended about it, but uh, it's the truth in most cases that when men get, uh, you know, in their sixth and, and stuff, you know, they come somewhat impotent. And they, uh, we, uh, we prefer uh, uh, over sex over, you know, traditional sex and stuff, you know, and then once we have our orgasm, we prefer to just go to sleep, 
you know, uh, but women be want to be calling us and stuff and talking and stuff, and we just want to go to sleep, and they just go on, leave us alone, leave the whole house uh, for a real concern. I mean, most of us, you know, and uh, women don't understand that, you know. That's all I got to say. So, Roosevelt, I think that you have brought up some very interesting points, and I think um, it's it's really important to understand that as we age, um, that that sexual activity and having positive, fruitful um, sexual relations is still very important to people's overall health, and also they still have that drive and desire. Now, your ability to stay awake, as you say, or whatever else um, to do after may change because you know, as we get older, we may not have the same energy level. Um, but I do think that it's important whenever you're involved in any relationship for both parties to be able, you want it to be a mutually beneficial experience, right? And so what it, I think it's important for women to feel comfortable in their relationships, articulating that to men. And I like what you said when you said, they just don't understand it. And so the question that I would have is why is it that the belief is that women don't understand? Is it that we don't talk about those things? And I think that that might be part of it. I think that there people may come into a situation with their own expectations. And I think that it's really important that when you have, if you want to have a good sexual relationship with somebody, that you have those conversations, that you talk about what's important to you, how you feel about it, and how you can make that experience wonderful for both parties. So that it doesn't, it's not that one person gets what they want and the other person ends up feeling like they're not getting what they want. What you want in a sexual relationship is for both individuals to feel like they're getting what they need. And I think that communication is really important. Now that communication may not need to happen after the fact. It probably is better if you have that conversation before so that everybody knows when things get going exactly what the expectations are so that everybody can come out of it happy. But thanks for bringing that point up because I do believe that there are tremendous opportunities that we we have not only as women, but also as men to talk about the changes that are happening in our bodies, to talk about the changes in our desires and um, and the things that we want and how how we can feel the best when we're involved in intimate relationships. So thanks for that point. Thank you so much, Roosevelt. Appreciate your call. Uh, Linda from Houston, hang on the line. We need to take our first break of the show. If you'd like to give us a call, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring 877-672-7464, or email women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Aaron, who's called in from Arkansas. Mary in Ocean Springs. Marlou is on the line in Jackson. Rachel is in Clarksdale. 
At MPB Think Radio, we are everywhere you want to go. Sardis, Henleyville, Greenwood, Jackson, Oxford, Ocean Springs, Meridian, Hattiesburg, and we're going to Memphis. So go anywhere you want. We'll be right there with you. MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens. We're talking about women's issues today, uh, more specifically uh, gynecological. Is that a word, gynecological? It is. Okay. It and is obstetrics or, you know, everything that has to do with a woman. Gynecological. I think that would be an adjective. Is it or an adverb? I don't know, because it doesn't have an L-Y at the end. An adverb is a word that modifies a verb. And also has an L-Y at the end of it, usually, almost always. Okay. <laughs> Linda from Houston, thank you so much for waiting on the line. Do you have a tip for Dr. Owens and her allergies? Uh, sort of. I just wanted to say that uh, when I moved, uh, when I was living in Germany, I had a horrible allergy to birch pollen. That's really an aggressive pollen. And when I came back to Mississippi, where there are practically no birch trees, it went away. <laughs> uh, I hope you don't have to leave Mississippi, but do get it checked up because it's a miserable feeling, I know. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that somebody else can commiserate with me. And Linda, I, I, you know, I just, I love being a Mississippi girl. And so I'm hoping that I don't have to leave too, but I do have to figure out exactly what it is that's causing Yeah, this. Linda, how did you find out it was birch pollen of all things? Oh, well, I had tests done, mm-hmm. but it was it was very common, the birch, birch allergy over there, because there were so many birch trees, and the pollen is so very aggressive, and it can fly all over the place, you know, <laughs> so, uh, and it went on, the seasons were getting longer, too, because of the climate. And well, the aller- allergy testing, it wasn't that bad? Pardon? Was oh, your the allergy test? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was not fun, but I got over it. Dr. Owens has a fear of needles, <laughs> so she'll never find out what's wrong with her. I'm, oh, I'm going fig- to figure it out, <laughs> Linda. You have motivated me. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate okay. it. Thanks, Linda. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Our phone lines are really lighting up this morning. And now Judy calling in from Tupelo. Hi, Judy. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. What I was going to ask is, I had a hysterectomy probably 30 years ago, and uh, before then, uh, they had uh, cauterized the warts down there, you know, in that area. Yes, ma'am. Anyway, I I haven't had a pap smear in probably 20 years. And I don't know if that's necessary or, and I'm just going to hang up and listen. All right. Thanks, Judy. So, um, Judy, you are not alone. There are lots of women who've had hysterectomies and um, are unaware of whether or not they should continue to have pap smear screening. And so if you are a woman who has had a hysterectomy, um, the answer is you might still need to have pap smears. It really depends. Um, And so 
when we talk about hysterectomy, um, the issues with respect to whether or not you need a pap smear kind of go back to the fact that pap smear is is a pap smear rather is cervical cancer screening. So it's screening for cervical cancer. And so if you have had a hysterectomy where they've actually removed your cervix and you had no issues with any precancerous lesions, et cetera, then the recommendations are that after you've had that hysterectomy, you no longer need to have pap smears. Now, that doesn't mean that you stop going to your OBGYN or stop getting female exams, but the the pap smear part of your exam, if you've had a hysterectomy, you don't have to do because you no longer have a cervix. So um, if your cervix and if you've had a history of some abnormality in your cervix or your cervix was removed or you had a hysterectomy because of problems with your cervix, then those recommendations are different. But most people if that's why they had their hysterectomy, they know that. And so if you are if you have a hysterectomy because of problems with the cells on your cervix, then your doctor is going to recommend the frequency with which you have to have pap smears done. But if you've had a hysterectomy and genital warts, by the way, the, the human papillomavirus or HPV, which everybody's hearing about now, that HPV virus is the virus that causes cervical cancer, but there are certain types that are responsible for causing cancer. If you have warts, you also have that same human papilloma virus, but it is not the type that causes cancer or becomes cancer. So those are they're the same virus, but those different subtypes make the difference. And so just because you've had warts, warts are considered benign. They don't become cancer. They are not the cancer forming um, virus types. And so that does not put you at an increased risk or mean that you would need pap smear um, surveillance after a hysterectomy. So the fact that you had those warts and you might have heard human papillomavirus or HPV associated with that, but just know that that is very different from the subtypes that cause cancer. And so those two aren't related. So you are fine. And for the past 20 years, you can let go of all that guilt because you have not needed um, a pap smear and don't need to, con- to continue to worry about that. Judy, thank you so much. Now, Katie calling in from Flowood. Go ahead, Katie. Hey, good morning. Um, my question is regarding uh, PMS symptoms. I'm 28 years old, never had children, and I've noticed that in the last year, like, my PMS symptoms um, have changed. I used to break out all the time, um, like, the week leading up to my period, but now um, in the last year, I've experienced, like, clear skin, but uh, breast tenderness and soreness for about three or four days before I start my period. And I was just curious as to um, why that might happen, why your symptoms might change, or just as you get older, like if the hormones just get a little wonkier. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was very eloquently put. Um, But yeah, so so your symptoms... um, that you describe, they are kind of related just to your body's response to estrogen. Um, you said that you are now around 28 years old, and it could just be that now your breast tissue is a little bit more sensitive to um, to the estrogen stimulation that happens um, before your period. Um, but 
there there's not any real particular rhyme or reason. Some people have the exact same. Some people will find that as time goes on, they may have a worsening of symptoms. Some people, as time goes on, they'll have a situation where their symptoms actually improve. Um, and so there's really not any specific rhyme or reason as to how that happens. It's but just that's your what's happening. Your, your estrogen is spiking when you're beginning your period or right before your period. So, so it depends on so the answer to your question Karen is kind of like it depends so the concept of when we're talking about when your period starts so for most women they think of the start of their period as the time that they start bleeding and so the but when you actually start bleeding that's actually kind of the end of the cycle the menstrual cycle right because there's a whole lot of stuff that your body is doing in preparation for pregnancy that does not happen and that's when you end up with the bleeding so the bleeding from a from a medical standpoint is kind of the end of the cycle as the cycle's getting ready to get revved up again but for for women, what we perceive is the beginning of the cycle is when you the day that you start bleeding. So it so it's but not, the symptoms come you know a few days before correct. you start bleeding, right? And so that's all. And so what that is related to is the change from estrogen levels because the beginning of the cycle before ovulation is primarily estrogen driven. Okay, so everybody knows estrogen, primary woman uh, hormone. And then what happens is halfway through that cycle, once ovulation occurs, then you have a decline in your estrogen levels and the progesterone levels take the progesterone becomes the primary um, hormone. So it's half half of the cycle's estrogen, half of its progesterone. And um, so it's the change in or that decrease in your estrogen and the increase in your progesterone that can kind of bring on some of those symptoms, which some women experience bloating or weight gain or the little puffy poochy thing in your belly right before you start your period. You notice your pants can get a little tighter right around that time of the, uh, that time of the month. Um, for some people, it's emotional. And so when they have that that change in the estrogen levels drop off, they can become very tearful or emotional. You find yourself crying for no reason or being being a little um, on edge emotionally. Some people find themselves being a little snippy with people <laughs> right around it. We've all heard that, right? Because you've always I'm sure there are people out in our listening audience who've either said it to someone or heard someone say when somebody's kind of bitten their head off and they'll say, wow, I wonder if it's that time of the month. I used to hear it all the time when I was in high school. That was right, like right, everybody's right. excuse for you being mean to somebody that day was whether or not you were on your cycle. So these are all um, changes that occur in response to these changing um, hormone levels in our bodies. Um, and yeah, it, I wish that there was a great way to map it out or to say who's going to experience what. There are some treatments that are available. So birth control pills or taking um, hormones will help to kind of level things out a little bit. So people tend to experience fewer of those symptoms or at a lesser magnitude when they have some kind of hormone therapy. There is also medication called um, Seraphim, which is an antidepressant. Um, it, the, I think most people know of it as Prozac. 
And um, you can take that for a week to two weeks before your cycle starts. And it kind of helps to even things out and take care of those symptoms that people can experience. Not so much for the physical symptoms, but especially for those people who really struggle emotionally um, on in that time frame preceding their periods. So there are things that are out there that can be done to kind of help level it out. Um, but all of it um, is in relationship to these changes in your In the old days, levels. it used to be just mitol. That was the only choice. <laughs> well, and mitol is really just to kind of help with the cramping that you feel for the and most part. And that's really just yeah. a pain... Uh, anti-inflammatory exactly it's just like ibuprofen same thing yeah all the same they're but, all in this they're but all ladies got the my dog because that's what was for ladies <laughs> <laughs> well thank goodness there are so it's a wonderful time to be a woman now there's so many other options that we have katie sure. thank you so much for your phone call okay all right all right if if you want to call in we just got through a bunch of phone calls and now the lines are open again. If you'd like to call us, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring 877-672-7464. You can always uh, send us an email at women at mpbonline.org. All right, here's my question for you. Oh, goodness. A Karen question. Here we go. <laughs> As a gynecologist, what is the most frequent question you hear? Or is there not a most frequent question? Am I the, normal? Is that it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this normal? That's probably the most common, and it and it's. It, Have it you ever always, seen this before? <laughs> they'll say, Am, "Is this normal?" That's that's probably the most common, and it. But the the thing that pre- precedes that is kind of um, across the board. I think um, it really depends because one of the great things about um, the work that I do is that I get a chance to take care of women um, across the broad spectrum of their lives. So I can see young children, adolescents. Um, then we see women during the reproductive ages. You get to see women as they are, you know, in the in the middle age, the the good glory years. And then as we as we transition into the the uh, more senior part of our lives. And so the good thing is that, you know, I get a chance to take care of all kinds of women at all different stages of their lives. And you can think of the difference between a woman who's pregnant and a woman in menopause. Um, So I don't know that there's any one particular uh, question that is kind of the most common thing. Um, I think if I had to parcel it out by age groups, I could probably tell you the things that people are worried about in different age groups. Um, But there's not any one particular thing that that I get very often. I think if we put it out in age groups, you know, those women who are around that menopausal age, it's going to all be related to the the things that they're experiencing change of life. But I think across the board, the thing that I talk about most commonly, interestingly enough, is not problem related, but just in general, is talking about, um, and this goes back to, to Roosevelt, but talking to women about um, about their their sex lives libido and how they can have you know a healthy experience whether it's the woman who has a baby and is concerned about the way that her body has changed or if there's a person who's trying to have a baby and they're struggling with how they can still kindle those fires and keep things going when they have this additional stress of fighting with infertility or if it's with a really young girl who is single and who wants to go to school and how we're trying to talk to her about making good decisions uh, that put her in a good position to be able to determine when she has a child. So if it's about contraception and those kinds of things, or if it's talking about 
the the women who are older who still are very much sexually active and who have wants and desires and needs and how they can best communicate those um, desires to their partners. In fact, next week, everybody wants to listen because we're focusing. It's the sex show. We're just going to be the sex show. Pre-Valentine's, we're going to give out all the good secrets. So we'll address those things about (laughs) intimacy and how to communicate with your partner. I think that's kind of one of those things that kind of crosses the spectrum. Um, And as women go through varying stages of their lives, different things become important. Um, We always also address issues related to hygiene. Um, And so um, that's always something that uh, is is a big talking point or an area of concern focus for women. We're going to take a break and we have uh, some callers on the line. So hang on, callers, Michelle and Tracy, right now. Hang on. We'll be back in just a few minutes. If you want to call in with a question, the number is 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or email women at mpbonline.org. Hang on with us. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. standing member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Atlanta business owners offer mixed reviews of President Donald Trump's first few days in office. I think, you know, he's a radical reformer. I think we need major change. I'm worried about his orders and ideas and things that he's implementing, his attitude. I'm Audie Cornish. Expectations of the new president from a key economic hub of the South. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Memory for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here. We're going to go to the phone because every phone line is lit up. And Michelle, another nice name, Michelle, is calling in from Olive Branch with a question. Go ahead, Michelle. Hi. I am 44 years old. And for the past few years, I've had one cycle a year. And is it perimenopausal? Am I menopausal? And how does that affect the chances of becoming pregnant. I want to avoid that as much as possible, but 
if I'm still having one cycle a year, am I still potentially to get the potential there to get pregnant? So, um, so yes. So if you are still having periods, then you can still become pregnant. However, if you're only having one cycle a year, it's very unlikely that you will become pregnant. Um, it just depends on, especially, I don't know if you are in a situation where you can anticipate when the cycle comes or if it just kind of is a surprise and just pops up on you. Surprise. Yeah. Usually if, it, if it's once a year and you're not on any medications or you're not doing that intentionally, then um, it's probably, a, it's it's a little bit more difficult for you to, um, to prevent pregnancy um, because you don't exactly know when it's going to come. So if that's the case, then you should probably still continue to do, um, to use a, a barrier method. Um, right. so that you so that you can decrease your risk of becoming pregnant. And the other thing is that there are still options for contraception, um, whether it's through um, through pills or other options in order to make sure that you don't um, become pregnant if that's not what you desire. Um, but it's interesting having one period a year there there are some birth control pills there's one in particular called Librel where you actually only have one period a year and that's what women expect and so you have the opportunity to be on contraception that enables you to still have one period only one period a year there are some that give you four periods a year so um, there are lots of different options I just said earlier it's a great time to be a woman because we do have so many options to kind of get a grasp of our reproductive potential and to be able to kind of have children when we want to have children. Okay. Great. Michelle, I, go ahead. I haven't been on any birth control for the past four years, mm-hmm. and I would rather not have to do that. So I understand. I'll just continue with the um, barrier method. Thank well, you very much for your answer. You're Thank welcome. you, Michelle. And, you know, Michelle, one other thing is that you might want to um, – you might want to also check with your physician because if you are, if you've gotten to the point where you're having so few periods, once you've gone through 12, 12 months without having a period, then that's considered menopause. So if it's actually been more than a 12 month period, you might want to have somebody check on you for, because you could actually meet criteria for having postmenopausal bleeding, which is a totally different beast and is something that um, is a little bit more concerning. And so by checking with your doctor, them checking hormone levels, and also potentially even um, checking the inside of your uterus, they can help to determine whether or not you have this postmenopausal bleeding and menopause has actually happened to you or if, in fact, you still are in that perimenopausal state. Tracy is calling in from Hattiesburg. Good morning, Tracy. Hi. I wanted to ask the question. My daughter had had cramps really bad, and the doctor put her on birth control where you don't have a menstrual cycle. And uh, how safe is that, and uh, what does that do for your cramping? So um, the So being on birth control such that you don't have a menstrual cycle um, is very safe. And that's a question that we get a lot when we talk about these uh, birth control methods that keep people from having a cycle. And so what it does is that it it creates a level of hormone in your body that's pretty consistent. So then your body doesn't get the signal for you to 
ovulate or to release an egg. And that's kind of the thing that triggers the whole process of this menstrual cycle. So by keeping your hormone levels steady, um, then you can allow a person not to ovulate. You suppress ovulation. And that in turn means that they won't ever have. Karen and I were talking earlier about that decrease in estrogen and then the progesterone levels. And then when those progesterone levels decrease, then you start the bleeding. So that concept goes away if you have birth control pills or continuous birth control. A lot of people ask whether or not it's safe or healthy for you not to have a period every month. Absolutely. That is perfectly fine. Um, and it is okay for you not to have a period every month if you have hormonal contraception. So if you are using some type of birth control that gives you additional hormones, we kind of expect that you will have a period to occur where um, a, a time frame, a time interval occur where you don't have periods. And that is not anything that is is bad for your health. Um, so that can be done. It's perfectly safe. And again, it kind of just gives people a little bit more flexibility um, when you're talking about contraception, especially for those people who know that they don't want to have children for a, an extended period of time. And it gives them the opportunity to be able to just kind of go forward without having to have a cycle every month. Thank you so much, Tracy. We appreciate your call. Staying in Hattiesburg, we say good morning to Maria. Hi, Maria. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I know next week is the sex week, but <laughs> I, I, I thought my question was more menopausal or perimenopausal in the fact that I have no desire at all. No, I mean, it's definitely dry down there, but just no, no desire. And I didn't know if there's anything that you could do about that. I, I really don't want to take a drug, but, mm-hmm. you know. But what are your thoughts on that? So so there are a couple of things. Um, first of all, um, there are things that you can do to kind of help. So vaginal dryness is kind of one of the biggest deterrents to sexual activity because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the reasons why we like to do it is because it feels good, right? Mm-hmm. So if it... Did, yeah, if it doesn't feel good, then all of a sudden it kind of makes it a little different. Um, right. So the way that you kind of flip that is by using um, other lubricants um, or you can use vaginal estrogen. So you can actually put estrogen, not taking it by mouth or any other way. You can uh-huh. actually put estrogen into your vagina. There are different ways that you can apply it to the vagina and that can actually help um, for it not to be as uncomfortable. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the other, just like lots of good lube will also help in making it more pleasurable. Um, Mm -hmm. There are lots of other techniques. I would recommend that you and your partner kind of experiment with different things related to this but there's all kinds of things that you can do i mean foreplay still works you've still got all your parts they're still working Um, (laughs) but it's hard when like you say the issue is desire there are new medications that are now available for women Uh, you might have heard about the the pink pill that people have been talking about for women who have decreased libido or who don't have that that heightened sexual desire. Um, uh-huh. It has it. It works a little bit. It's better than nothing. Um, it's, have side effects. So so 
every medication that you take has side effects. And so that it it does. Um, and it's kind of one of those things that I don't think that many people are using it first line. I think that what what we've tried to do is to encourage people to kind of use some other behavioral techniques. There are also some off-label medications that could be used that your physician may know about as well to kind of help with your libido. Um, so there, there are some things that are out there. Um, there are some topical agents, some creams and things like that that can also help to stimulate your sexual desire. Okay. Um, so there are lots of things that you could try. And if you are just now starting on this journey, you've got a whole lot of options that are available to you. And they're way more now than there were 10 years ago. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. And and can I ask one more quick other question about the the menopausal um, side effects? Sure. I mean, um, the night sweats and hot flashes, is there anything that is non-prescriptive like herbs and um, natural remedies that you've heard about that that really work so so yeah there are and um so the the things that um kind of have gotten the most press i think are those things that contain soy when you talk about um fighting the side effects or the uh, the the symptoms of menopause right um that's probably the thing that has been out there the longest that people are are the most comfortable with and that we understand how they work um a lot of those are you know available in you know, any pharmacy um, mm-hmm. over the counter, um, mm-hmm. and they do provide uh, some relief of those symptoms. Now, it's just like everything else. Every medicine doesn't work the same in every person. So some mm-hmm. people have gotten better results than others, but at least they're out there. Um, and uh, those, for the most part, those uh, compounds are considered to be safe. They are not, however, regulated by the FDA. And so you don't really always know if what they're selling you is what you get, um, which is kind of the the disclaimer, you know, that all the doctors use when it comes to those kinds of things. But we do know that there are, you know, basically nature's own remedies for uh, for something as simple as menopause, which is great. Um, Mm -hmm. They're out there. and, And a lot of women I know have used them and have had great results. Maria, we have to move on. We thank you so much for your phone call this morning. Thank you. Dr. Chuck, hang on the line. We're going to take our last break of the show. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or you can still send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back here on MPB Think Radio.
informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Hey, it's Peter Sagal. Are you resolved to lose a few pounds this year? How about a few thousand pounds through the Public Radio Vehicle Donation Diet? Donate your old car, truck, or RV to support this station and drop a lot of unwanted weight from your garage in a matter of days. And you'll feel great because you're also supporting public radio in the biggest of ways. It's easy, fast, and you may even earn a tax write-off. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to the final segment of Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown, Dr. Michelle Owens here. We're talking about uh, women's women's issues, women's problems women's and health. health. And um, you want before we take our next phone call, you wanted to say one more thing to Maria, yeah. our previous caller. So um, I just realized after after we took our our break that there I wanted to give the names of some other of those um, natural compounds because again, um, I think that there's not like a one pill fixes all. There's not like a universal fix for this. And I think that it's helpful for women to have um, information on kind of what's out there. Um, so we talked about the the isoflavones or the phytoestrogens and those soy products. So you get it from soy. But other things that you might see um, in herbal stores or what have you that have been um, associated with treatment for menopausal symptoms are like black cohosh. Um, which I could not remember that name um, when um, Maria was on the line, but black cohosh. Um, there's also a compound called Dong Kai, um, which is spelled D-O-N-G-Q-U-A-I um, and red clover. So if you've heard any of those or if you see those, those are kind of the things that um, are out there that are herbal remedies that um, have been used for menopausal symptoms. I just wanted to make sure that everybody kind of knew them by, I guess, some of their trade names or regular names. Good, which you might good, good, good. Dr. Chuck is calling. And Dr. Chuck, thank you so much for your patience. Go ahead. Um, a problem I think we all run into with uh, counseling patients <clears throat> is, for example, I have a patient who's in her 40s who had recurrent severe dysplasia and uh, when she underwent, finally, she uh, decided to have a hysterectomy after uh, a couple of leaps. And uh, uh, when I explained to her that it was all related to high-risk HPV, persistent HPV, even though she's got a normal immune system, she doesn't smoke, all of this, she was just shattered to find that she had a persistent viral disease that I couldn't tell her how long it was going to persist after she had a hysterectomy. How do you counsel people like that? And how do you help them get back into being a sexual person after that kind of problem? Um, and I'll just hang up and let y'all discuss this because I think we all bump into it. Thanks so much. That's actually a, a really good question. And I think it's hard for people to understand. I think when we talk about whether it's 
um, HPV or uh, because it's it's something that is transmitted by sexual contact. Um, so it's hard to get people to separate the stigma that goes along with having a sexually transmitted disease or infection. And also the difficulty, because when you think about sexually transmitted diseases or sexually transmitted infections, we have like there are several different types of infections. And so the viral infections are different from bacterial infections, etc. So I think the the way to counsel them is just that, you know, any time that you have sex, you can be exposed. We don't have a way of tracking it. Um, however, once you've been exposed, then your body just does what it can do to try to rid itself of that virus. And unfortunately, with a viral infection like HPV, it can lay dormant. It can just be in your body. Um, the good thing is that if your immune system works, then you're going to be much less likely to have a problem. But there are going to be some people in whom we you may not have any great risk factors, just like you um, spoke of your particular patient. And despite our best efforts, there's not really anything that we can do to effectuate change or to make that any different. However... That being said, um, once you, it's not an issue where that person needs to be concerned about um, how that would impact them from a sexual health standpoint. I think that you should always continue to be, um, to protect yourself um, in, in all circumstances, whether you know that you have a virus or have been exposed or not. And so that's kind of the way that I would counsel those patients um, and recognize that, you know, our body just does the best that it can do. And sometimes um, the best that it does is not enough to be able to totally eradicate the virus. But fortunately, we do the surveillance and we just try to um, make sure that people get the care that they need. We just have two minutes left, so we'll have to just race. Quick. Okay, email. I had a hysterectomy 38 years ago. I don't know if they removed my ovaries. I wrote to the hospital, but they replied they no longer had my records. How can I find out if I still have them and does it matter at age 70? Whether or not you have your ovaries does uh, does matter um, just because there is a risk that you could develop uh, cancer or ovarian cancer. Your risk for ovarian cancer goes away if you don't have your ovaries. Um, however, from a day-to-day standpoint, it's not as important. Um, it may be possible for them to be identified through um, an ultrasound or through imaging. Um, but as far as how it impacts your day-to-day life, it probably uh, is insignificant. Robert calling in from Hattiesburg. Go ahead, Robert. Hey, thank you. You're doing a great job handling a very sensitive situation. I am a a retired compounding pharmacist, and we were able to help a lot of ladies and guys, too. And uh, you might uh, mention that compounding pharmacists might have some options here, especially working with the doctors on uh, various uh, doses for them. Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, we had a caller that called in and uh, asked about uh, treatment for decreased libido. And I worked in concert with the compounding pharmacy to make sure that we created a preparation for a patient of mine who was also struggling with the same thing. It was an off-label use for medication, but it was the the compounding pharmacies really saved me because they gave me an opportunity to kind of 
modify the doses for this patient to use a medication off label and it was something that was really tailored and made just for her so thank you so much for that is really true i hope that despite some of the most recent issues related to compounding pharmacies that you guys continue to thrive out there because you provide a tremendous service for us thank you robert we are out of time i'm sorry d and i'm sorry cindy our other callers were we're simply out of time. Send us an email. Yeah, send an email to... And we'll um, respond. Yes, women at mpbonline.org. Or call back next week during our sex show <laughs> if you want. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the MPB Foundation. Today's show was engineered by Jay White, our call screener. Uh, we had two, actually. Sam Wells started, and then he was relieved by Java Chapman. So thanks to you two guys. For Dr. Michelle Owens, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women, the sex show. And stay tuned. NPR's Here and it's Now gonna be hot. is next on MPB Think Radio.